Welcome to Equip to Care, a podcast featuring the members of Equip, an online membership community of counselors, coaches, people helpers, and ministry leaders. We know that you care about your work with hurting people, and that's why we're here, sharing insights, hope, and opportunities from people helpers just like you. Each episode, our members will share insight to encourage you and expertise to impact your own work. We hope that this will build confidence and competence in order to make a real difference. Enjoy this episode of Equip to Care. And welcome back to the podcast, everybody. So glad that you have decided to join us once again uh, here on Equip to Care. And I'm excited to welcome yet another member from the Equip group uh, to join me here on the podcast. And today we welcome Wendy Douglas. Wendy is a biblical counselor, grief educator, uh, writer, speaker, and like the rest of us, a fellow journeyer. She's a biblical counselor specializing in grief and loss, as well as a certified grief educator. And we are anxious to learn both about um, Wendy's expertise in counseling and care, and also to learn about some of the things that she is offering the world uh, through her work. So Wendy, thank you for being part of the Equip to Care podcast and welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Well, it's uh, our pleasure. It's been a pleasure to be a friend and colleague for so long and to get a chance to introduce uh, the world to your work is really encouraging and a blessing for me. Uh, so I'd love to jump right in and talk a little bit about uh, grief counseling, grief care, and some of the work that you do. I have such an admiration. It's never been a strength or a strong suit of mine, but I have such an admiration for grief counselors, for caregivers, um, having um, worked a, a lot in pastoral ministry with uh, funeral homes and hospice and being around uh, caregivers is such a rewarding experience. And so I think uh, right off the bat, I'd love to know a little bit about your story because you didn't start as a counselor. I believe uh, your prime, your first occupation, real career, was at uh, Chick-fil-A. Is that correct? That is correct. I have spent decades of my life doing marketing for Chick-fil-A. Um, but, you know, at around the age of 40, I experienced some depression and that lasted actually for a few years. And it was for me, resolving the underlying issue is what led to my healing. And for me, that underlying issue was grief, right? It was something that I had tried to um, hide from, to push it down, to stay busy. So I didn't have to think about it or give it time to bubble up. Um, and I did that until I just couldn't do it anymore. And it was going through that experience that led me um, to my passion of helping others who are walking um, a grief journey. And I actually did an interview about my own story um, this year. Um, and that is um, on the about page of my website, if anyone's interested. But, you know, I like to tell people, you know, just what you said, you know, I don't only know about grief through training and through education. I know about it most because I'm that fellow journeyer and I've walked that grief road. And I really think once you start that grief road, you kind of are just on it um, and it changes. There's, there's hills and valleys, twists and turns all along the way. Um, but that is really who I am is that fellow grief journeyer. And that's amazing. I think sometimes our own experiences can be perhaps our greatest companion in the work that we do. And to hear that not only are you a, um, 
a survivor of grief and despair and an overcomer, but you're also someone who has suffered, I think gives a great deal of credibility to the work that you do. When we're thinking about grief and, and grief care, what, what do people in the throes of grief, what do grieving people need to know? Well, that's a great question. It's actually, you know, I, I could talk about that um, for hours, but, you know, I think the first thing that people in grief need to know is that grief is normal, right? We all come from a long line of grievers. Um, it is a natural process in response to any loss. And, you know, I really think that grief is God's process of helping us to let go of the things that we can't have in order to make room for those things that we need. And unfortunately, there's no way around it. Um, trust me, I have tried. And, you know, it's if you want to get through grief, you have to go through it. And when you go through it, you can grow through it, even though it is very painful. And some people, you know, describe grief kind of like having this bomb that just detonated in their life. Or sometimes people describe it more as the death of a thousand pinpricks. But, you know, whatever it is, it hurts. It's painful. And, you know, people lose a part of themselves and they have to figure out a way, a new way, really, uh, to live without what once was. Um, but, you know, you also carry those people with you um, in your heart and sometimes through your actions. My grandmother was more like a mother to me. And, you know, she loved flowers and I got my love of flowers from her. And so, you know, now when I plant my Gerber daisies every year, I think of her, um, you know, in the beginning, if I would have seen the Gerber daisy, I would have just burst into tears. But now I can look at them and remember with more love than pain. Um, I think another thing that... Um, that people in grief need to know is that grief is continual because it occurs throughout life, right? It occurs in little ways. It occurs in big ways. Um, and it does not always involve the physical death of a person. It can be the loss of a dream. Um, maybe it's the death of a marriage, um, you know, or it could be, you know, grief from sending your five-year-old to kindergarten. Um, and new loss actually can bring up old loss. And sometimes you just feel this emotional overwhelm and you think, oh my goodness, my reaction is little, feels a little too much. And a lot of times that's because we've tapped into some old loss that wasn't processed. But when those things happen, you know, we really have to untangle um, our relationship with those things. And that's really hard to do. But, you know, we do still keep um, that attachment um, for, you know, example, when you um, lose someone to physical death, but we have to think about, um, you know, how we have a different relationship um, with them and, you know, how much time it takes for each person to do that, right? We all have different relationships with people. That's why, you know, siblings in the same family grieve the death of a father totally different ways because they each have a different relationship with that father. Um, and of course, there's a lot of complex factors that play into it. But, you know, basically grief is unique um, to the individual. And untangling that grief um, involves not only emotional processes, but it involves biological processes like making new neural pathways in your brain, right? And that that takes time and it takes practice and repeated efforts, um, you know, for that to happen. Um, but, you know, it doesn't just involve time alone, right? Not any more than if you had a splinter in your hand. It's not going to just get better with time alone, right? Eventually, you leave that splinter alone and you just let it stay there. It's going to demand your attention. Right. <laughs> it is going to start hurting and saying, um, help me, help me. And, um, you know, just like that splinter, you have to tend to your grief in order for it to heal. And I think that when you're going through grief, people are really surprised that 
grief tends to peak around that four to six month mark. Um, a lot of people will say, wow, I was doing really good. You know, about that three month mark, I thought I was like doing better. And then all of a sudden they feel, you know, this, this overwhelm again. And, you know, and then it'll level off a little bit and then it rises again as you get closer to that one year anniversary. Um, and that's, that's, totally normal, you know, but again, it can be different for everybody because there's a lot of firsts in that first year. Um, and, you know, I think we have to remember that the first two years are actually what we consider to be early grief. And, um, you know, with non-complicated grief, you, you really do get back to normal functioning and clearer thinking. Um, and it, that's hard to see in the beginning um, because you will still miss them, right? I always say the missing is the hardest piece. Um, at least it, it has been for me. But eventually you do get to that place where you can remember them and you can smile again. Um, and that's hard for people to understand, you know, um, that, that first year that they really will be able to smile again um, when they think about them. But there's still going to be times, too, that you have what you know, we call grief bursts, those, that emotional overwhelm that just comes, seems to come out of nowhere, right? Maybe you pass by a familiar place or you smell a certain smell and you just start crying. Um, and, and that's perfectly normal, right? And those things are just going to happen, you know, throughout a lifetime. Um, and that's, you know, that's okay. Um, for me, I'm 35 years later um, from the death of my grandparents. And, you know, I mostly remember them um, and smile and laugh and, you know, just um, love my memories with them. And then there are some times I can still just burst into tears. Yeah. Um, but then I'm okay. I find that I recover um, with that emotional overwhelm a lot quicker than I did, you know, 30 years ago. Um, but, you know, grief is personal because it is really about attachment and it's about our relationship, right? We grieve those we love and we grieve those we hate, but we don't grieve people that we're indifferent to, right? <laughs> um, because we don't have a relationship right. with them, but the people that we do have a relationship with, and even those that maybe we don't have a relationship, but that we want one with, you know, for example, example, maybe there's a distant parent or a distant sibling, or maybe you've got a friend, you know, in your life that just all of a sudden disappeared, you know, it's what they term as ghosting. But, you know, those relationships impact us deeply when there's a physical or an emotional um, death to that relationship. And the relationship always impacts the grief, right? Because that the deeper the emotional connection that you have with someone, the deeper um, and more profound the grief is. But, you know, it's, it's also important to remember that grief is not just what happens to you, because a lot of times I think that's what we think about when we think about someone that's experiencing grief is, oh, what happened to them? But it's also about what doesn't get to happen, right? Maybe you don't get to live into your retirement years and have this wonderful long life and, and you both die holding hands together, right? Maybe that was the dream or what you thought, right? Because I was even reading this morning in Proverbs 3, right? Um, about how, you know, doing these things that, you know, certain things bring safety. And we, we tend to think of those when we read it as prescriptive instead of descriptive. Right. Um, and so, you know, our, our assumptions that we have can really um, be shattered. So it's also about those things that don't get to happen, but I think the most important thing that I like to tell people who are in grief is just to remember that they matter to God so much that he keeps every tear, right? Those tears that nobody sees, God sees, and he cares about them. 
even when it seems that he's so far away that their prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, he is so close that he's close enough to bottle every single tear. I love it. I mean, reminding, I think we all need that reminder of God's love and his imminence and how close he is. And I, I love some of the concepts, a lot of all the concepts you're laying out, like uh, we come from a long line of grievers. It reminds mm-hmm. me of uh, Hebrews being part of that cloud of witnesses or first Corinthians ten thirteen that no temptations overtaken us except what's common to man. I mean, all of us have experienced grief, but then recognizing the need that grief demands our attention, that, that we have to give it the attention that it deserves. And there's a great deal of healing in that. And even yeah. um, stimuli and situations and reminders that have once drawn us to despair can now draw us to hope and to joy. And it's I think a privilege to walk mm-hmm. alongside people in that. And I know as a pastor, sometimes uh, we can get caught up in the the day to day. And I think that's part of the church's dilemma. You know, I will, I'll conduct funerals, but then I got to go about my way or somebody will mm-hmm. leave the church and it hurts, but I, I can't dwell on it. I got to keep pressing forward. And it, it makes me wonder if the church is missing some opportunities to really find joy in grief. So what, what do you see as some of the biggest needs in our communities of faith, uh, Wendy, as it relates to grief? Well, Chris, I think that um, one of the um, main things um, that we need to understand is that we heal in community, right? We talked about that attachment, right? That's one of our most basic needs and healing and growth just don't happen. They don't happen in a vacuum. And so what better place to heal and to experience more peace than in a community of believers who can encourage us um, with the truth of scripture, encourage us with love and support, because, you know, I believe that the church is meant to be a part of God's redemption story in our life. And, um, you know, but even in the church, we're grief illiterate, right? Because our, our society as a whole is just in America where we're grief illiterate. We don't, we don't really know what to do. We don't know what to say. And if we're honest, grief can just be plain awkward. Right. Um, in my experience, um, in talking with people, I've seen and heard, you know, people are told to, you know, just be strong. Right. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Everything happens for a reason. And I really think that people really mean for those things to be helpful, but they actually lead people to hide their grief because that is just not what they're feeling. Um, and it's not helpful. Um, and not only that, it's not the example that Jesus gives us, right? Because when I think about Jesus, um, when he went to Mary and Martha after Lazarus had died, he wept with them, right? And even though Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still met them right where they were. He didn't say, hey, come on, y'all, let's be, you don't know what I'm going to do. Don't you have enough faith in me? Right. Right? He met them where they were. And when they invited him to go where uh, Lazarus was and to see him, he didn't lecture them, Mm -hmm. right? He didn't give them scripture like, what? He didn't? He wept with them, Right. right? He witnessed their pain. And he, he, um, he did exactly what we in the church need to do when other people are grieving, right? Because 
we need to meet them where they are without trying to fix people, right. without trying to give them advice, without trying to tell them what to do, because grief is not a problem that needs to be solved. And I think a lot of times that's how we see it. We see grief as this problem, right? Because it makes us uncomfortable. And so we need to fix them so that we'll be more comfortable. But it's actually a process that we need to help people engage. And we need to create that safe space for them um, to do that. Because when we don't, people will stuff it just like I did until they can't do it anymore. And then it starts to come outside sideways, or sometimes, unfortunately, they leave the church um, altogether. Because there's two things um, that people in grief um, need the most, right? And that is structure and support. And I mean, the church is such a great place for that. They need to know that it's okay to hurt, right? Um, they need to know that they're not alone, right? That there is this community of believers um, that is right there supporting them and holding them up. Because I've heard John Townsend say, you can't let go until um, you're being held up, right? We have to know that we have that support in order to be able to let some of these things go. And when you think about Romans 12, 15, you know, it tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And man, are we good at that first part? Oh. It is so much fun to rejoice with those who rejoice. I like that part. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's that second part of weeping with those who weep because that's where it gets uncomfortable. And one thing I know about Americans and especially Americans in the church is that we don't like to do uncomfortable things. No. But that is what God calls us to do. And he calls us to do that, you know, for lots of different things in life. Right. The, the gospel is not comfortable. Mm -hmm. Following Christ is not comfortable and being with people in grief is not always comfortable, right. but you see grief can be transformative, right? It can open us up to new things and perhaps there are things that have been there all along, but we were just too busy to notice. And when we grieve well, we can really be people who are more compassionate. We're full of more grace that we can then have that grace for ourselves, right? And that um, some self-compassion and accepting what God um, gives us. And then we have grace for others, right? But we can't do it if we're not being supported by others. And the church, I think, is is the best support. Wow, fantastic. We're, we're going to continue our conversation uh, with Wendy here in a moment and get a little bit practical with uh, some next steps. But before we do that, I, I want to invite our listeners to consider um, being part of Equip. Equip is our online membership community, and that's where Wendy and I met and where the podcast comes from. So we'll be back in a moment after we hear a little bit more about Equip. We'll return to the Equip to Care podcast shortly. If you've been benefiting from what you've been hearing on the Equip to Care podcast, then I've got good news. The guests on the Equip to Care podcast are part of an online membership community called Equip. It's a community that was founded by myself and my good friend, Leslie Vernick. And we meet with our folks monthly. We discuss cases. We talk about frustrations. We equip and help each other become more confident and competent in people helping. And we would love for you to be part of that group. If you'd like to learn more about joining Equip, would you just take a moment and visit chrismoles.org slash equip, chrismoles.org slash equip. And now back to the Equip to Care podcast. And we're back with our special guest. Wendy Douglas has been walking us through some concepts regarding grief and care within the church. And I'm excited to lean into this next section because I think Wendy has an offer for you guys that you really want to take advantage of. Before we dive into that specifically, I'm wondering what maybe are some next steps 
for the grieving person? What do people in the throes of grief need to do to begin to move on to the next step? Right. Well, you know, um, I actually offer a half day workshop where I kind of walk people through this. But the basics are that the first thing you need to do is just acknowledge that you're grieving and to accept whatever emotions you have. Because I know in the Christian community, I found that anger is really hard to express or to admit. Um, But all of our emotions are God given. And Chris, you and I about a month ago were talking about, you know, Jesus was angry, too. And he was he was not just angry as in. Oh, I'm so angry. He was flipping tables, right? right? And and that can, you know, be like, whoa. Um, <laughs> but God gets angry too. And I think that anger is actually the same uh, one side of the same coin and sadness is on one side and anger is on the other. But, you know, if you look at um, what King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7, 4, and he says that the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but that the heart of fools is actually in the house of pleasure. And, you know, why does he say that wise people mourn, right? I, I, I think that kind of sounds depressing, um, to be honest. But I think what Solomon was getting at is that mourning causes us to reflect on life in general and on our life specifically. And, you know, we said, I said earlier before the break, but grief is a process that we must engage, right? And we have to help other people to engage it. But it's engaged voluntarily. We can't force someone um, to do that. Because grief causes us to re-examine what we believe and why we believe it. Because a lot of times our assumptions about how the world works may have been shattered. Our assumptions about who we thought God is, right? If I obeyed him, if I did this, if I did A plus B, that's going to equal C. And when we realize it doesn't, wow, it just kind of that what we were had as our foundation begins to have some cracks in it. And so we really have to re-examine those things. And I think grief is the catalyst that causes us to come face to face with ourselves. And I think it causes us to examine what we believe to be true about ourselves, but also about God and about the world around us, right? Because losing someone or something that you love is one of the most excruciatingly painful human experiences that there is. And we just feel so powerless, you know, to stop it because we didn't cause it. We can't cure it. And we can't control it. And that can feel really, really scary. And I think that's when those questions such as, is God good? And does he really love me? Those seem to surface in our hearts, even if we don't say those things out loud, right? But we go right back to those questions that were asked in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Is God really going to do? Is God really who he says he is? And right, as we start to listen um, to what we think, as we reflect, we have an opportunity to make some different choices, right? We don't have to make the same choice um, that Eve made. We don't have to believe that lie. And I have found that if we allow grief to be our teacher, it is a wise teacher, but we have to allow it to be. And, you know, when we talk about Solomon and Ecclesiastes, he also, you know, he points out that the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Now, maybe, you know, I don't know. I was thinking it might just be enough sometimes to talk about what the wise thing is to do. Um, Like I'm thinking with my kids, I talk about what the wise thing to do, but you know, there's something really important. I think that Solomon wants us to know. And I think he wanted us to be aware that our tendency is to avoid pain, right? We look to things to dull our pain, but they don't help us to solve our problem. And even in the church, I've seen a lot of people use alcohol to dull their pain. Unfortunately, when the alcohol wears off, they're still have the same problem and it hasn't changed at all. And so you have to be able to acknowledge your loss, express that loss, name your feelings, take your pain to God and take your pain to others. 
And that's how it starts to resolve because research shows that unresolved grief is going to be remembered in the brain and the body until it's completed. And so you can choose to push pause on your grief journey. You are perfectly able to make that choice, but just know that it's going to continue to affect you until you finish that work that grieving requires, you know, whether you realize it or not, because, you know, we want to enter into the house of pleasure. I mean, I don't know about you, Chris, but I think if I asked you, do you want to go to fun town or you want to go to the funeral home, yeah. which one are you going to likely choose? <laughs> fun town's my first choice. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does seem like a better option, right? And it does provide temporary relief, but it's only temporary because like I said, it's the wise person who enters into the house of mourning because it's a sad face that makes a heart happy. And, you know, I've heard Henry Cloud say, you know, why don't we have sad parties? And he says we do. And they're called funeral funerals, right? And there's that mourning period that follows and they help us to look back and say, yes, that person died. And yes, we acknowledge that. And yes, we celebrated their life. And it gives you something to look back on um, to then know, yes, I am in a process of grief. And, you know, we have to be careful what we do with our emotions, right? Because all of our emotions are valid. They're good. Um, and they're, they're actually neutral. They're not really good or bad, but it's what we do with those emotions, right? That we have to be careful with. So, you know, it is okay to be bad and to be angry that somebody that you love betrayed you and killed your marriage, right? But what you don't want to do is kick the dog and yell at the kids, right? <laughs> right? It's much healthier to call your friend or go to God in prayer, or maybe you need to do a power walk or some running, or maybe you even need to get the baseball bat and hit some pillows, right? But you have to acknowledge um, that grief, right? And you you do that with safe people um, in your life. And, um, you know, there's a lot that Paul talks about in Galatians 6. And, you know, when people read that, they're like, whoa, you know, talk, Paul talks about helping people carry their load, but he also talks about us carrying our own load. And so that can be really confusing, but there's two different words for, you know, some translations have the word burden, some translations use the word load, but that Greek word there um, in verse two of Galatians six, um, where he talks about, we have to help one another carry our loads is, is that word borrows. And it's really something that's just too big for one person. And so you know, I think of a crushing weight when I see that um, word in verse two. And then that that next verse um, in verse five, not um, of Galatians six, you know, is the word fortion. And, and that is really a task that is performed. And so I kind of think of a backpack of um, when I see that word that holds all of the daily tasks, right? That are things I have to be responsible for and do myself, right? Because I don't need somebody to put gas in my car, or pay my bills. That would be nice. Don't get me wrong. But that's not someone else's responsibility. That's my responsibility as an adult that I need to take care of myself. And those are the kinds of things that we are designed to carry um, on our own. However, those crushing weights in life, those are not the things that we're designed to carry on our own. And Paul actually says that we fulfill the law of Christ when we bear one another's burdens. And Jesus himself says in John 15, 12, to love one another as he loved us, right? And so just as Christ took on a burden that we couldn't carry, when we help somebody else with a burden that they can't carry, such as grief, in a way we model Christ to them, right? Because grief is one of those boulders um, in life and it's just too, something too big um, to do alone. We do need that support um, and that the care, that structure, um, like we talked about earlier that we find in the church. Um, and so, yeah, I think we just have to be willing to be vulnerable enough to say what our needs are and be vulnerable enough to be known Right. And but we have to do that with our safe people. We can't just tell our story to anybody, anybody who will listen, because a lot of times we do that. But, you know, Proverbs twelve twenty six tells us that um, 
the wise man is cautious in friendship. And that doesn't mean that you have this wall around you where you go around and you're just hypercritical of everyone, or you're just so distrusting that you have your arm out to everybody until they prove that they're worthy of their trust. But it does mean that um, healthy relationships are built with actions over time. And that's how you build that trust. And so you just kind of give a little bit at a time. And so, you know, you really want to lean in to those safe people. And if you don't have safe people in your life, some people say, I don't have anybody like that. Um, Then there is no shame in calling a coach or a counselor and paying good money for someone to listen and to walk with you through that. Um, And so, yeah, I really think leaning in um, with other people, um, you know, will help you to do that because grief doesn't get smaller. Our life gets bigger, bigger, right? Yeah. And we have to make our life, we have to make intentional steps to make our life get bigger. And we do that through growing in our faith, growing in our character and growing in our relationships with God and other yeah. people. And this has been powerful, practical, and biblical. And we appreciate all that, that you've offered us today, Wendy. And, and if you are listening and you're like, I want to get connected to this ministry, I want to learn more about this, then you're in luck because Wendy has a website, delightedbygrace.com, and there she offers more insight, instruction, and she's a curator of a physical product that I'm nuts about. So Wendy, talk to us a little bit about what you offer at Delighted by Grace and what are some of the ways that our listeners can get connected to you and your services. Yeah. So um, one of the things, one of the new offerings that we have at delightedbygrace.com is a self-care gift box. And some people buy it for themselves as an act of um, self-care, but most of the time people buy it as a gift for someone they know that's experiencing grief. We have the comfort box for those going through grief, Um, or um, maybe they are coming up on the anniversary of a loss and they want to send somebody just something to let them know that they're thinking about them, that they care. Um, And then we also have what we call the warrior box. And that's for people who are on a cancer journey because there's lots of loss um, around cancer. And, you know, many times, you know, like we said, we just don't know what to do or what to say when someone experiences loss, because, you know, like we said, our society just doesn't speak the language of grief. And so it can be a real struggle. We want to do something, but we don't want to do too much or, you know, and so we're just kind of in this back and forth. And a lot of times it just causes us to do nothing. And that really leaves um, a grieving person in isolation. And so, you know, when you want to encourage um, those experiencing grief and loss with biblical truth and compassion, that's the very reason that I created these um, boxes as a way for a person or an organization like a church or a business to show that they care and provide resources for that griever to have when they're ready, right? Um, because like I said, you know, it can be lonely. Grief can be lonely and you want to remind them that they are not alone. You know, even if you aren't physically there, God is there with them. And, you know, God shows up through his people. And so this is just one more way that um, we hope that God um, shows up for someone um, that is experiencing this. And so each of these boxes contains, you know, several items. Um, and it reminds them that it's okay to take time out, right? Because self-care is not selfish. But there's a book um, in each box so that when they're ready, they can have their experience validated, their feelings uh, normalized. There's a mug with scripture um, that reminds them that God is with them, that they're never alone, even though it might feel like it. And we've had some people say that um, every time they use that mug, um, that they are reminded of how much they are loved from the person who sent it to them. But, um, you know, there's 
um, a frameable scripture card in there. There's soaps, lotions, treats, but you know, some of these items change based on availability because we are a small family business. We don't buy in the, in the thousands or the hundreds of thousands. Um, but more importantly, you know, it's um, each box comes with a personalized note from you, right? And so if someone needs help with what to say, you can just simply tell us about the griever and we can write a note for you, or you can email us before you place your order and we'll help you with what to say. But we ship these boxes anywhere and everywhere in the United States. We usually ship within one to two days and anyone can order a box simply by going to delightedbygrace.com and then you click on that shop page and you choose which option you'd like because we have them for men and for women. And then, you know, just fill out that necessary information, fill out that personalized note. Um, and then we do custom boxes as well. Um, you can just send us an email. We'll work with you on that. We just had someone that did a $75 box because it was from several families who wanted to go in um, together. And so in addition to the items, you know, there's a, also an invitation for the griever to join a free Facebook grief support group. And if um, this is where they can actually, you know, receive encouragement from other people who are going through grief. They can share their grief journey um, with other people without having to explain it, or they can just come and read the posts. Um, once a month, I do an interview um, with someone who's gone on a grief journey and they kind of share their loss and their struggle and their hope and how they've been able to move forward um, with their grief. And, um, you know, of course, on the website, there are different things uh, such as a free downloadable um, journal with some guided prompts that really helps you to think about and write out um, a coherent story about, you know, how to process this grief and what happened, or maybe some of these things that, you know, you're missing that you realize are not going to happen. There's blog posts, there's access to other resources, there's podcasts, book recommendations, um, there's different numbers for different um, resources, you know, so if someone needs that, um, some specific resources, those are on there as well. So valuable. I mean, they're just chock full of value when you think about the box of comfort and hope and the warrior box a real tangible uh, way. And I, Wendy, I think for me, that's something that just stands out to me as understanding grief the way you do, that to make mm -hmm. something that's tangible and practical and personal uh, that mm -hmm. individuals can, can have you curate and can be represent them to folks who are grieving or those who are fighting is just a fantastic resource. So listener, you're going to want to go to delightedbygrace.com you're going to want to check out all of Wendy's resources. And certainly if you're a church leader or you're a grief counselor, or you're a ministry director, you're going to want to get connected uh, with these boxes of comfort and the warrior box for sure. Fantastic stuff. Wendy, thank you so much for being part of equip for being such a, a faithful servant and, and caregiver and for being on the equip to care podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. All right. Thank you all for listening as well. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, let people know how much you appreciate the Equip to Care podcast. Mm -hmm.